Hey everyone, this is Jimmy Conrad, your favorite former U.S. Men's National Team player and the host of the Call It What You Want podcast. And I'm here to tell you that Viore is a versatile clothing brand that speaks my language. It's inspired from the coastal California lifestyle, just like me. Its products stand the test of time, just like me. And also just like me, it endeavors to inspire others to live vibrant, healthy lives. Viore gear is designed to look great in everyday life while also being perfect for any workout activity. I'm currently rocking the men's Sunday performance jogger And don't let the name deceive you. You can wear these babies any day of the week and in any situation. I'm talking going to the office, running errands, the gym, whatever your heart desires, because Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. So get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash sports. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash sports. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Again, go to viore.com sports and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Kego Lasso to honor the great Sir Alex Ferguson and his documentary that comes out this week. I have... Peter Schmeichel joining me today to discuss the legacy of the great former Manchester United manager. We'll talk about the playing days during the 90s. We'll talk about Manchester United of now. Peter, of course, is a CBS Sports colleague as well. So we'll talk Europa League final, Champions League final. This is a fantastic conversation and Peter discusses it all. So make sure that you stay right here because Kego Lasso begins right now. There is a new documentary on the life and times of the legendary manager, Sir Alex Ferguson, which you can stream on Paramount Plus from this Saturday, May 29th, the same day as the Champions League final, also on Paramount Plus and CBS. This is a film about arguably the greatest manager the game has ever seen. Sir Alex famously served Man United from 1986 to 2013, winning 13 Premier League titles, five FA Cups, two Champions League titles, and much much more. The film is directed by Sir Alex's son, Jason, and includes insight from his wife, Lady Kathy Ferguson, as well as his other children, and of course, former players who knew him best. Well, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome one of those players, my CBS Sports colleague. It still sounds weird for me to say that. Also part of our Champions League and Europa League coverage on Paramount+. Plus, and one of the greatest goalkeepers the game has ever seen. Peter Schmeichel. Peter, my friend, finally, I'm super excited to welcome you to Kegolasso and CBS Sports. How are you? Oh, I'm good. Very good, Lewis. How are you? I'm good. I am so excited to have you. Um, I just wanted to tell everybody a little bit about you for a second. For those that live in a cave and have no idea, Peter Schmeichel's arrival to United from Bromby in 1991 for just about half a million pounds would later be called by Sir Alex as the bargain of the century. Together, they dominated the 90s, five Premier League titles, three FA Cups, and of course, the amazing treble in 99. God, do I remember that so well. Where Peter and United won the Champions League in dramatic fashion against Bayern Munich. He also has an autobiography coming out in September called One. Not just about his amazing career, but also his personal life, how he nearly died at age 15 and recalls a turbulent relationship 
with his father, his failures, but most importantly, him picking himself up again, his successes and much more. So Peter, plenty to talk about, of yeah. course. Are you ready, my friend? <laughs> I'm ready, fire away. I love it, I love it. Peter, listen, um, this intro could go on and on, but you have a lot of things to do, so let's get straight into it. First off, how have you enjoyed CBS Sports? Everybody treating you well? Kate Abdo's a United fan, so I'm sure she's protective. How's it been? Yeah, yeah. No, it's been absolutely fantastic. It's, uh, it's, uh, there's, a, there's a difference between uh, broadcasting for uh, European television. So my experience is, is with, with the UK television scene and, of course, with the Danish television scene. Uh, and now I'm experiencing, uh, you know, working for American TV. And there is a bit, uh, there's a difference um it's uh it's it's there's a lot more allowed if you like uh so there's a lot of of good spirits good humor a lot of laugh at the same time as you have to be to the point um and you know ideas are very quickly put into action so and i really like that uh, you can you can sort of grow into a way of broadcasting and be on, on tv and and uh, now, uh, you know, we're all challenged with uh, opportunities, if you like, because that's that's what it is. Now, I'm really enjoying it. I'm, I'm working with some fantastic people. Uh, we are all being looked after very, very well. Um, there's never been a problem with anything. Uh, it's just an absolute joy. So I really am enjoying it. And, of course, great to have you as well. What do you like better, the studio stuff or the uh, sideline reporting? No, I like both. I think, I think I've I've got the best of both worlds. Uh, obviously, I've been hampered with, with all the traveling restrictions due to COVID. So um, I, I was supposed to be, you know, when I was traveling, I was at both days at a game every day. Uh, before COVID, it's easy to get across Europe from from literally every destination. But of course, it's been it's been challenging. It's been uh, quite a few countries. Germany, England have been in complete lockdown; wouldn't let anybody in. Um, and of course, England ended up having most of the teams in the semis. And uh, so, so, but but I went into quarantine and, and, and you know did as much as I could. Uh, but it's it's been. But I have to say, uh, if, if you take all that away, which is just uh, semantics, you know. I'm enjoying both. I think it's. I think the studio is fantastic. Kate's doing. I mean, I'm. I'm impressed with Kate as well. I think she's a very, very, very good presenter. I like the fact that she's speaking. What is it like? Twenty-five different languages. Yeah, and she, she like, translates. Uh, she doesn't speak Scouse though. That's Jamie Carragher's. That, that's for him. Uh, and I think it's better for her not to to even attempt that because she is, after all, from Manchester. Uh, and one day, you know, for people who don't understand that relationship between Manchester and Liverpool, I think one day we'll have to explain it. But it's not great. Let me put it that way. Um, and of course, Micah, uh, you know, who is the happiest child I've ever met. Um, and Roberto, who is, for me, possibly the best analyst I've ever seen on TV. Uh, it's it's really, it really is a joy working with them. And, you know... For me, being away working with Alex, I worked with Alex in the in the final games last year. It was a pleasure. Um, with Guillaume as well, I'm working with Guillaume on both finals now, uh, and of course Nico as well. Uh, it it has been a it has been a really really interesting year, um, and hopefully all these travel restrictions 
will lift for for the next season and it's it'll be easier to get around. And also, I've been in empty stadiums. I have to say, Lewis, it's it's. I think the players have dealt with it very well, um, but there's a lack of intensity, uh, and you sense it. And I don't think it's great when when you can hear everything that's been said. Uh, I know the, the most TV producers have been very very clever in uh, in in you know sifting out all the bad language and, and most of, of what is being said. But my God, that's, that, I don't enjoy that. I don't think that's nice. Uh, and, um, you know, football is, we don't play football for ourselves. We play football for the fans. So we need them back uh, as quickly as possible. So hopefully that, that will happen as well. And the next season in the Champions League will be more interesting. Yeah, so it was good to see all the fans back, at least in the last two games of the Premier League, as, uh, as we have seen, right? You, you felt good about that? Did I feel good at least to uh, see some of the fans, some of the normality coming back? Yeah, I think, I think it's, it's um, even in, I mean, we, we're used to the Premier League to sell out crowds. Every game is a sellout. So even, even, you know, only seeing some fans back and empty seats, which is something that we, we're not used to, even that was brilliant. Uh, and you, you straight away you, you, uh, you, you sense that the pressure that the fans can put on, on their own players, on the opponents' players, but also on the referees, it has an effect. So uh, in the last couple of games, the FA Cup, the the uh, the, the Premier League games that we've seen crowds back in, you've, you, we've sensed a difference, a little shift in in. It's very difficult to to say precisely what but there has been a shift players have be, reacted differently and so has referees so um, it, that, that's a, it, you know, I tell you what in terms of when it comes to to players and, and how good they are and talent and all that that for me is going to be the most interesting thing for when we get them back and when we get full houses again because a lot of players have popped up in the last sort of 12, 15, 18 months and made a name for themselves, but they've made a name for themselves in a, an environment with no pressure other than off on the pitch. There's no pressure from, from the crowd. There's no, I mean, if you play for Man United, for instance, which is, uh, I would, even, even though it's been a while since we won the Premier League and made any big waves in Europe in terms of the Champions League, I still consider that the biggest club in the world in terms of the following and, and every time something happens at Man United, well, it's the most written, talked about thing in the whole world. You know, to play for Man United, uh, of course, you gotta have the talent, you gotta have the skills, and gotta. But I tell you what, you have, you must have the mentality. If you don't have the mentality, if you're not a strong personality, there's no way you can hack it at Man United. This just doesn't happen. And we've seen we've seen a couple of players, you know, sneak into the team that they, they look okay. But I'm, I, I want to see them under pressure. I want to see them when the crowds are there. I want to see them when they play away from home and everybody hates them. How are they reacting then? So that's going to be, for me, the most interesting thing for, for when we get the fans back. How are the players reacting? Yeah, that's going to be key. And obviously, as we talk about Sir Alex Ferguson in a second and you know your times then, the 90s, if you're a young listener right now, Manchester United, there was no team that was hated more than Manchester United. <laughs> from the oh, loved. 
or loved if you're a United fan or actually a neutral away. That's right. But I grew up in England. I'm a Villa fan. My dad was a United fan and you just know too well. But it came out of respect, Peter Schmeichel. It was because like this is a team that everybody really knew. The Red Devils are coming. You better watch out. Well, um, it's an interesting thing when you say the 90s. Uh, yes, of course, in the 90s, we... We managed to win five Premier League. So the Premier League, the first Premier League champions were crowned in 93. So we are a little bit into the 90s. Uh, up until then, Man United was, uh, it was a club or a team that, that came very near, but always stumbled at the end. Mm. Never really had the ability to, to take it over the line. Or so it seemed. Uh, at least from the outside, and and I, and I think if you speak to uh, if you speak to observers around that time, that that's what they would claim. But when you speak, when you talk to the inside, so you know people like uh, the old owner chairman Martin Edwards or Mike Edison, who's still a director at the football club, Morris Watkins, also a director of the football club. When you speak to these guys, Bobby Charlton as well. Um, they, they knew what was happening internally. They knew what was happening, how the club was being structured by Alex Ferguson, how he was very, very slowly um, getting, getting rid of players who, who, uh, took, who took the culture or the environment in, in the opposite or a different direction as to what he wanted it to, where, where he wanted to go. Um, and, and also the way that he was uh, attempting, I won't say attempting, because it was very deliberate, but, you know, structuring the education as footballers, putting the right people in charge. Eric Harrison, Brian Kidd were in charge of the first sort of crop of incredible players that the club produced, known as the class of 92, the Beckhams, the Giggs, Nicky Bartpole, Scholes, and Neville Brothers. Um, that was all deliberate. But of course, that was something in for, into the future. So Alex Ferguson came in 86, uh, November 86, uh, and never won the championship. So, and that would be the first Premier League until 93. That's a long, long, long time to go as a manager who was always, to his own mind, right. So he knew this is the way we're going. Follow me, or you you fall off. That you fall off. That that's it. Uh, so so to go for that long without, I know there was an FA Cup, and of course there was a Cup Winners Cup uh, very late on before the championship was won. To go to that go go that long without winning the championship and still having that mentality that's a long time. But people from the inside knew this was happening. They had all the patience in the world. It hasn't. It, it, you know, it didn't happen for anyone after Samet Busby. So they knew this was the right guy. They were they were backing him to to the hilt, uh, and and there you go. If you give someone with the right idea, the correct idea, time to first of all get rid of players. I mean, you come in as a new manager, you got to get rid of players yeah. because you you always come in at a bad time. Why is it a bad time? Because the players are not good enough. You gotta get rid of players. It did that? Take, took him a long time. Would this happen now? Do you think? Would he get that kind of time now? 
And not a chance. Unfortunately, not a chance. I think that there, are, there's, there are always examples of, of, of football clubs trying to do the right thing, trying to give people time and trying to organise themselves. I think where my son plays, Leicester City is a very good example of you know, organising yourself right, get your recruitment right, you know, slowly build, 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 you know, they, they now, they just opened, I haven't seen it yet because of COVID, but they've now opened the best training facility in the world, spent yeah. the most money, um, they're now extending the stadium, that's the next project, but they're building, building, and you can see, you know, they won the Premier League, they won the FA Cup on, on Saturday, Um that's very good. But when you look at what they've done, uh, you know they've they've not given any managers that much time. They've they sacked Sven. Sven Eriksson was the first manager when Casper was there, so he got sacked within a year, you know. And then there's been a succession of different coaches there, um, and it, due to different things, you know, one of them got sacked because he insulted the owners. But due to different things, they haven't kept the same manager for that period of time. Um, so even a club that is doing it right, it's not going to give the manager that much time. Yeah. So with that being said, Peter, how do you think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is doing right now? Or how is he I, I think I think he's doing very well. I think he is. Um, it's an unsteady ship. And he's steering it very... With, with a steady hand, uh, it is not an easy job that he's got. I think, I think he's benefited from uh, from not having fans in the stadium. He's had um, he's had that factor less to contend with uh, in in this incredibly difficult period. Uh, I, it's not it's not no secret that. The football club that the fans love is very much detached from from the ownership of the club, um, and we all know what happened three weeks ago uh, with the uh, Europa Super League and how that within forty eight hours changed football completely. Um, and of course, uh, this this is like two years in for Oligona, um, but it's still something that's going to rock the boat. He. He's gonna be, he's gonna be faced with that. Um, but I think he's done well. I think he's done well. Uh, again, what's gonna happen when the fans come back in? You know, if you lose the number of games at home that he's done this season, the fans won't be happy. They're gonna go all the out straight away. This is what the Manchester United fans are doing. That's how they react to uh, to to results like that. So uh, again. He's had a tough time with with players that he's never picked. He never signed them for the club, um, and you know, for him, for him to take the club to the next level, you know, he's got he's got to sign some players that fit into how he he sees the game going. Who would you want this summer if you could pick someone? You have somebody in mind? I would like Harry Kane to come to Man United. Yeah, I definitely like Harry Kane. I also would like someone like uh, Fofana from Leicester. Yeah. Because uh, I, I think we're exposed. I think we've been, it's, it, you know, Harry Maguire gets injured and then we see what happened. You know, we're certainly we are a nervous bunch of defenders. Uh, we need, we need 
we need a village Ferdinand combination kind of thing going. And I can see Harry Maguire for Fana do that. I think Lindelof is a fantastic player, but Lindelof is not, unfortunately not that leader um, that you want in a center center defender. Uh, if you look if you look back in history, at, at the times where Manchester United in Premier League history, uh, uh, every centre half was won the Premier League. Yeah. The leader. Every single one of them. Steve Bruce, Gary Pastor, Yapstam, Ronnie Johnson, Henningberg, um, Vidic, Ferdinand, all these guys, they've been leaders. Absolute led from the. And I think that is a requirement to score goals. If you're Man United to score goals, you have to commit people forward. More, more people than other teams have to do because people have more respect, they're more defensively minded uh, and therefore you have to have more people up front. So you got to take risks and chances um, and, and, and to do that you um, you definitely have to have strong centre-halves who can, you know, live life back there on their own and, and also, you know, at the same time as trying to defend, still lead and, and, and direct other players. I could not agree with you more. It's something that I've talked about for a long time because it's not just Manchester United. Look at Vincent Company and Man City, Ruben Diaz and Man City now. Look at Tony Adams and Arsenal. Look at Chelsea and John Terry. There is a clear Virgil van Dijk and Liverpool. There is a clear importance and focus to have a vertebrae, a backbone. Yeah. And it begins at the back in front of your goalkeeper. I, I, it's, it's a no, good point. I, I, I believe that it begins with the goalkeeper. First, so you build your spine. So, so you have your goalkeeper, you know, your goalkeeper, you want your goalkeeper to be steadier. That's yeah. it. You want you, you just, you, you don't necessarily want the guy who flies in the corners and saves and then, you know, he makes a mistake or doesn't come for a cross or, you know, you just want steady Eddie in there. Someone that is so reliable someone that the two guys in front of you understands completely and trusts. That goes the other way as well. So the two guys in front of the goalkeeper has to be the same. So they've got to be strong, really strong, independent thinking, team thinking, and also leaders. Those two guys are so important. Then you've got to have, you know, midfield players who can, who can, you know, go box to box. As I said before, you've got to commit people forward. So you need your midfield players up there. But when you defend, you also have you, you also want them back. So you need that as well. And then at the end of the day, that's why I said Harry Kane first. It's a total cliche. I know that. But goals change games. It's as simple as that. So yeah. if you got someone proven like Harry Kane who sticks in 25 a year in a, in you know a relatively ordinary team like Tottenham, right? <laughs> What's he going to do in Man United? You look at all the other guys that came into Man United. We took Dwight York of you, right? Yes. Don't remind me. <laughs> 32 goals in his first season. Yeah. All he had to do, and he will say that himself, all I had to do was to read David Beckham's crosses. Just read them. Yeah. And then be in the and then just stick ahead to it. Now, Man United has always produced a lot of chances. Always produce a lot of chances. Can you imagine someone like Harry Kane who produces? I mean, this is, I, I don't have an official stat, but top of my head, produces 60% of his own chances. Would that be fair to say? Yeah. 
Can you imagine him at Man United being serviced the way that strikers at Man United? Are yeah, with Bruno so, Fernandes and yeah, oh. yeah. So, so if you have that spine, then you have the Greenwoods, the Rashfords, and all these kind of players that that you know can are the spices that you you know you beef the, the food up with the dish up with and uh, so yes, I like. I mean, it's difficult. It's difficult. I would say. You know, if you really cut to the chase, it's more than two players. Yeah, it's not. It's a lot more than two players actually. But you can't do that. You just you have to start somewhere, and you gotta you gotta trans transmit or you do that transmission slowly. You can't just put five new players in the on the yeah. pitch. It, it, very very rarely does that happen. Well, I mean, you know, to your point, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has done well. Champions League once again and a Europa League final as well this week as you are listening to this, by the way. What are your thoughts on the Europa League final against Villarreal and Unai Emery? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, um, we're up against the guy who's won it three times before. You know, um, I think we're all struggling to, to sort of name Villarreal players. You know, what are, who are they? Well, Gerard Moreno is, is a striker. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but my point is different. My point is not that we cannot. Of course we can. But we don't know this team as individuals. Yeah. What we do know is that this is a very, very well-organized team. And I think we've it's been proven again and again in this side of the Europa League. How well, I mean, to go to go to the Emirates and, and play for nil-nil, that's not easy. It's never easy, um, but they did that, and they were—I would say—they were comfortable in that nil-nil draw. Undefeated were, in the whole tournament, Peter. Undefeated in the whole tournament. So Unai Emery is very, very experienced at this at this kind of game. That's a big difference, you know. It's a really, really big difference in playing in Europe and playing this side of of the. The, the, the tournament, so the knockout thing, and then playing 38 games in the Premier League. It's very, very different. Mindset is different. Tactics are different. You have to relate to something you've already done if you're playing the second leg. And, you know, and, and when you get to the final, you have one shot. That's one shot, 90 minutes, maybe 120, but 90 minutes, you got to get it right. And, and for someone like him to be there again, uh, with that experience and and the team that he's put, I mean, I'm so impressed with that with that team. I am really am. Yeah. Uh, I think I think it's going to be very very difficult for Manchester United. Unfortunately, I'm hoping. I really am hoping that Harry Maguire will be fit. Uh, it's a big big worry for me that he's not he's not uh, if he's not playing. Yeah. I think I think even when he played in the Roma game. Uh, in Rome, it, I was very, I was embarrassed to watch that game. And the yeah. number of chances we conceded, and thank God for David De Gea, uh, you know, it would have been, we could have been knocked out, by the way. Yeah. But uh, we've we've shown uh, uh, frailties in in defense. We have, but he he's he's a steady steady player. So at least we have one steady player. So that that's a big big worry for me if, if he's not playing. It is. Would you start Edison Cavani, Peter? Of course I would. You would? Of course. I, oh, the the, the guy's on fire. I El mean, matador. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, exactly. <clears throat> I've always liked him. I mean, from Napoli <clears throat> to PSG, I always liked this guy. I always liked him. Uh, 
and and of course, it it doesn't sit right with me that we get those kind of players at the end of their careers. But and and I I, tell, I have to be honest, I wasn't. It wasn't a positive signing for me. I wasn't happy about it. Yeah. I'm thinking we're taking steps backwards. We're not going to go backwards and get players who are what, 33, 34, 35 uh, to finish that career at another big club. That's not what we want. We want guys that we can that we can have in there for five, eight, ten years. Um, and also, you know, at the beginning, he wasn't playing him, and it was like, mm, and then suddenly, my God, somebody light, was lighting a match. He is on fire, and he's brilliant. It looks like he might have been a bit injured. And then he's now found found his fitness, but he is sharp. My God, the goal he scored against uh, Fulham, but it just that that's I mean you can't you can't teach anybody that that is instinct and instinct for a striker. You know, as soon as as soon as you make the run, even before you touch the ball, you you have an instinct about what I'm going to do with this. It's a goalkeeper out. If he, I'm going to do that. Wow. Yeah, I would start him any game. Of course, I would. Yeah, no, absolutely. All right, let's uh, switch gears for a second uh, because I want to talk about uh, very quickly about, uh, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson because you, you know, when we talk about Sir Alex Ferguson, we've talked about it a little bit in the past uh, just now discussing, you know, what it would be like for him to manage right now. But just, I know it's very difficult in one segment to do this, but Peter, mm. what, what was it like to work under Sir Alex Ferguson? I, I loved every minute of it. Absolutely, I loved it. Um, it was clarity about you know everything. You know what direction are we taking? What's required of me? What's required of the team? It was very well communicated. Um, and of course, if if you're not if you're not on that track, you're leaving the club. You kind of knew that. Um, and then pe- people have quite a, quite. A, I won't say wrong, but a different uh, impression of, of Sir Alex and I. Misconception, I, yeah. Yeah, I, I I actually consider him one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. What do what do other people think? There, what just? Uh... No, they but they see the brood. They they've seen the interviews. They've seen when he, they you know they've only seen like the public Sir Alex uh, at work because that wasn't work. He was so deliberate in everything he did. When he was doing interviews, he was either speaking to us in the dressing room or he was say uh, he was taunting the other team or the man, not the team, but the manager. Right. He loved that. I mean, he, <laughs> you know, one year he really got Kevin Keegan up there, uh, which, which I think was significant. Uh, but he was at work in those TV interviews. He, he, he didn't do that for, for the pleasure of the TV station. He had a clear message. I knew precisely what it was that he was communicating every time, every time he went in front of a microphone, that was a plan. Um, and and he never spoke badly about a, a player, never did, never. He might have in sort of retrospectively said something or, you know, everyone knows, you know, the upstam, the book, the misunderstanding. And there you go. He's a big, big, big man, you know, comes out and says, hey, I made a mistake. I'm sorry, and he did. So, and I like that. You, you, you know when you have when you have a boss. I think the most valuable asset that a boss can have is clarity. So, whatever is, that's what it is. It never changes. 
So if he says, ba, 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 he said it, and then that's gone. Never comes back to it. Um, and I like that about him. Really, really like I loved working with him. Yeah, he was uh, very, uh, you know, what you see, like the relationship was very pure. There was nothing hidden. There was nothing unsubtle. It was whatever I say, this is yeah. the truth. This is what I'm telling yeah, you. I think, I think when you take it inside, that, that's definitely the case. Uh, I think when you sort of, if you look at sort of the, the broader picture and his public persona and his public work, the, the way he worked his team publicly, um I think that's a lot of play acting and a lot of deliberate taunting of people um, to get them off balance, simply, yeah. I, I think. And I think that that's not the guy he is, but that was just part of what how he did his work. And, and you know, I was on the inside. I saw something else. So I, I was quite happy with that. Yeah, no, of course. Listen, there's a great story on how you joined United from Bromby because it didn't happen straight away, right? You were a little disappointed the first time the team's going to meet a fee, uh, this agreed to a fee, and then your agent tells you to go to his house and and there was Sir Alex Ferguson. Is that right? Yeah. That story is in my book. Can't give that away. (laughs) Well, no. The reason reason why I say it is because I I, you you have said it before in a podcast in the United podcast. I was very interested to hear. You don't have to tell me the whole thing. Obviously, I want people to buy your book. But it was. I mean, I I was I was a small child of eight when I first started to think about and dream about playing for Man United. Yeah, and and. You know, it was it was it was a driving force. I mean, I was 27 when I joined the club, so you know, for a very very long time, it was it was more like the impossible dream, a dream. Uh, and then I had the opportunity, and uh, the club I was at asked for far too much money, uh, which it sounds ridiculous now, but it's 1.1 million. Well, back then it was a lot. Yeah, back then it was a lot. (laughs) Back then it was it was a lot. But it just sounds ridiculous when you say that. But and it didn't happen. And then, uh, you know, a couple of months into the following season, this this is at the end of the season. Yeah. So a couple of months later, I get a call from uh, from an assistant to my agent, and he said, "Come to my house after training." I did, and Alex Ferguson was there, and he just said, "Listen." I know what I want. Just keep working hard. Just do the same thing um, and play well. And I'll come back for you. And that, that that's thats another measure of the man, you know. He, he says something and then he did. He yeah. came back for me. Amazing. It's just amazing. And like what you just said, right? His his word is true and he, he meant it. And, and look what happened after that. You know what I'm interested in is that you know, all qualities that are attributed to Sir Alex. Uh, but I feel like no manager has ever embraced the grit, the desire to just win. I just saw an interview with Gary Neville talking to him saying, and how Sir Alex is like, you know, we're in the final minutes of a game and some teams just want to hold back or whatever. I, I will never understand why, because it was about no matter what to just gamble and go for that victory. Would you... Did you feel that every day in training and in the dressing room? I mean, so many incredible moments of coming back. Of course, the most famous one against Bayern Munich. But is that what he emphasized every day? No. I love it. Why not? No. So what did he emphasize? Uh, not every day. It was so. There's a very big difference. Uh, Match day and training. To, to oh, 
massive difference. So yeah. uh, in natural fact, he didn't really want us to do much in training. His sessions were short. He never took training himself, but sessions were always short. Uh, intensity was always low. Um, Brian Kidd uh, took it upon himself to do some of the more intensive uh, work when he was not around because he felt that we needed that. But he wanted us to be fresh for, for matches. Interesting. Um, Did that annoy some players? I mean, it's one of the things, I tell you what, it's, it's one of the things I, I very much enjoyed working with him was that we put everything on the line every time, yeah, all the time. We'd never hold anything back. Um, he would, it's it's happened in, in my time, it's happened on, I think, on two occasions. Not that he said in so many words that we should be holding back because we were about to really humiliate a team, but he made subs that stopped our momentum because um, he didn't want to kill, you know, the team that we were playing against off or maybe the manager. But he also had, there's also a couple of examples where he said, listen, now, you know, you go, you go for it, keep going, keep going, even though we were, you know, way, way ahead. Yeah. But I like the whole, the, like the whole, um, the whole risking the whole thing. I, I, I know I'm going to, I talk about my book again. I'm sorry about it. It's not that I wanted I, to. I want I you go, to, I want you to talk about your book. <laughs> but I, I, I actually, I think I start the first chapter of my book. Yeah. It's called risk mode. I think it's yeah. first chapter. I'm not, I'm not sure. It's called risk mode. And I go into detail about all this and very, very, very detailed about, you know, what we're thinking, what we're happening and why we're doing stuff. Um, and, and it's something that it's something. So, so for me at all to write this book, it's one big why, why, why was I, I, I was eight years old. I lived in Copenhagen, which is a different country to where Manchester is. I hardly had any football on TV back then. We're in the, you know, we're in the early 70s. I mean, how, how could I say that this is what I wanted to do? And I ended up doing that. And my dream, my dream was winning the FA Cup at Wembley for Manchester United. That was my dream every night. So how come this came true? That, that was my beginning point. So in order to go through all that, and you know, I've, I've dug really deep into my family history and stuff like that, I also came through to, to these questions. Why did we keep doing that? You know, I had to really think hard about it and where did it all come from? And you know, I, I won't say that it was a deliberate thing that he put into our minds, uh, but it was definitely something that he he allocated for. You know, that that was with him. There was always an opportunity to do something that he hadn't thought about himself. And when you bring a group of players together that without having, you know, even spoken the words between us, but we have the same, we want to do this. Yeah. And I don't care if we lose two or three now, but if I can get it to one, one, then I'm a winner, you know? And, and we had that. So still credit the manager. Absolutely credit Alex Ferguson for that because he picked us. So he looked for kind, you know, all these kind of things, and then he brought us together. And then it's part of the reason that it took him so long to win the championship was he needed to get that mixture completely right because you could have players with that mentality, but then flaws in other departments. Yeah. So 
Yeah. Once he got there, and that's, then it became easier, of course. It became easier because then the players he brought in, they had to adapt to the environment. But in, in the run into the first Premier League win, you know, we had to create the environment. And he was, of course, a very, uh, he played a massive, massive part of that. Yeah. You left at such a high note, right? After uh, winning the treble, etc. Do you sometimes look back? And by the way, I don't want you to think like this because I was so happy when you joined Villa a few years <laughs> later after that. But would you, um, would you, do you sometimes think, oh, I probably could have stayed a few more years? Was it your choice, first of all? <laughs> well, well, my choice, definitely my choice. And do you, do you think that you could have stayed a few more years? Yeah, so there's circumstances. Yeah. So, so, I mean, I think we've with COVID, we've seen a little bit of what a a compressed fixture uh, calendar yeah. can do to players. If you look, if you look across the clubs, I mean, Man City's been very good. They haven't really, but they have two completely equally strong teams. They can mix and chop, so they can rest players. But they are just about the only club. Yeah. Uh, most clubs will have to play their best players and most of their best players every time. Uh, and, you know, you're getting through periods where you play, you play against... You, you've mentioned our 99 season, right? So in the last 14 games we played, last 14 games, every single one of them was had carried the importance of a cup final. Yeah. Every single one of them. And you and felt no that. When you watched yeah. it, you just Absolutely. felt it. Yeah. yeah. At no point, and then look back, if you look back, at no point could we have done worse than what we did. We won by one point to Arsenal for the Premier League title. You know, we were cutting it fine in the semi-final of the FA Cup. Yes, we had an easy ride in there in, in the, the FA, the actual FA Cup final. That was probably the easiest game we had in, in the run-up to the final. <laughs> and then the Champions League final, you know. Well, you, you look at those 14 games, they were played with an interval of 3.8 day. 3.8 day, every 3.8 day, you have a cup final. So mentally, of course, uh, it takes its toll, more, more than anything when it's over. But it, it kind of, kind of, you know, when you get on the right, you just stay there and you, you, the momentum carries into the next. But physically... You carry all sorts of knocks and knocks, uh, and I, th I think the uh, the science says that uh, between between the ideal period between uh, rest period between football games are five days, you know, five days or more. So you can imagine, you know, playing these kind of games. You have to play kind of play your best players, and you know, I I insisted, absolutely insisted on playing every time. So that there was no question about that. And then I got to to the end of the World Cup, which was the end of that year. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that's right. My God. No, no, no it was. Sorry, it was no, the no, follow. No, so yeah, no, yeah, two, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I got to the end of the World Cup the, the previous year. That was the 98, yeah, in France. Yeah. Yeah, the 98. We played Brazil, I think, on July 2nd, something like that. And four weeks later, less than four weeks, actually, we had to play qualification to get into the Champions League because... We were runners-up in the Premier League. And back then, the runners-up had to go through the playoffs to get into the Champions League. So, you know, already then, I mean, I, I hardly stopped playing this massive tournament that the World Cup is. I had to play the most important games of the season because we had to be in the Champions League. Yeah. And I kind of looked this mountain. It was that steep, you know. I couldn't... I, I just couldn't find the energy to carry on like that. Because I've had... I, 
for three and a half years, I didn't have a holiday because I had an operation there at the European Championships. And then, you know, it's just, I was so mentally so drained coming back from the World Cup. So I decided, okay, this is it. This is going to be my last season. You made then, that decision right after the World yeah, Cup. Did you I tell anybody? Yeah, I'm giving too much away here, you know. <laughs> You you can give what you want or not. It's just very, you know, it's it's an act. You got to understand, like, talking to you. Is, <laughs> well, the point is, Peter, the point is, is that you, because of what's going on with COVID and how many players, I mean, look at Bruno Fernandes. He plays yeah. every single game. Yeah. Every single he's game. A, he's just a, but you need, that, that's it. This, uh, this, I feel, is a big, big misunderstanding with modern-day football because why does player needs to be... Why do they need to be rested? I mean, why? What is it? Why can't they just play every game? Of course you can, but and sometimes you will get a rest, but your best players should play, you know? So you, if, if you think about sort of the wider content of football, right... To, to play this, to play a season like Man City they've done and been able to change and, and just bring quality for quality all the time. You need, you need two teams of quality. But can you imagine if every of the top teams in Europe, they have that, how many players that are not on the other teams and how, how, you know how bad the competition will be look at the Premier League this year it's brilliant man we don't know who's going to be in Europe next or we know who's going to be in Europe or most of we don't know who's going to be in the Champions League we don't know I mean Man City ran away with it and Man United they secured second place the other day right but Liverpool Chelsea Leicester still fighting isn't that brilliant that's what you want that's that that was a big big misunderstanding that the, the clubs behind the European Super League. That was a big misunderstanding that they never catered for. That's what people want. Look yeah. at look at the championship, the, the next second best league. Look at the competition there. It's absolutely brilliant. Uh, look at France. Look at Spain. How good is it? I mean, Spain's probably had the most exciting finish to a season for years. Yeah. That is what you want. But if you take all the best players in the world, and you just put them into what? Let's just say ten or twelve teams. You know, then yeah. where where is the competition? Where's Peter? The your your son's team. Look at Leicester City and what they did. I feel like it's remarkable. Yeah. Uh, the complete antithesis to European Super League. Absolutely. Yeah, I I, I really truly believe that that's the best run club in the country. In England. Leicester City. I, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. think they are. I mean, it's. I, I know people are going to talk about them possibly falling out of the, 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 the top four again and it can happen, you know. But no one's talked about their injury situation. They have been hit as bad and maybe even worse. Uh, yeah, key players out for a while. Jamie Vardy was out for a while. James Madison was out for a while. Like, you know, uh, it's, it's, been, it's been rough. It's been very rough for him. But Johnny Evans it, been out at the beginning of the season. Johnny Evans, now. a huge player for them. You know, yeah. Harvey Barnes, you know. Hey, James Justin's out, you know, Ricardo's been out. I mean, literally the whole team, uh, apart from maybe two, three players, they've been out. But you never, ever heard Brendan Rodgers complain about that. He just carried on. He shuffled his deck of cards. Okay, his, his, his bench substitutes looked a bit young at times, maybe a bit thin. 
but just carry on and look at where they are. Won the FA Cup. First time in their history. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that is that's what that's what football is all about. You know, it's not about how many players can you buy and then just you know chop and change and you know. I'm, I, I don't find that exciting. I find the competition and that a Leicester thing can happen. I find that so important for football. And it was the best thing that ever happened after the European Super League that Leicester went on and won the FA Cup. Because <laughs> yeah. it kind of it kind of pushed it kind of pushed romance back into football straight away. You can't yeah. you can't just just kind of argue with that. The owner came on the pitch, he was picked. Casper went up and you know got him down there. You know you could see the love between the players and, and the fans and the owner. I mean, it was beautiful. And football is this is what we won with football. We won that emotion. We won that caring for. But we won the competition. That is the most important thing. Because if that goes, then why are we playing? Well said, my friend. Well said. One final question, because you're also part, obviously, as we mentioned, uh, of our Champions League final coverage. I'll be doing the USA part. You'll be doing the UK part. Uh, first of all, are you going to be there, right? Are you going to be silent or studio? I'm going to be there. Yes, I'm going to be in Porto. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Well, yeah. let's talk a quick, very quickly. Man City, Chelsea. What do you think? All Premier League final. Chelsea has gone the better after uh, of Man City this season. But what do you think? Third time lucky. How's Pep Guardiola going to take this one? Well, I think I actually, if I'm honest, I think Chelsea are the favourites. Interesting. Um, yeah, I think they are. I mean, um, of course, Thomas Tuchel was in the final last year. Yep. You don't want to go into the final and lose for the second the second year running. He's got a better team. Um, I'm not sure that he's found his best 11 yet, but he's got a really strong team. You saw him on Tuesday, how they played against Leicester. They are like a pack of wolves, just chasing, chasing, chasing. And of course, if you can keep up with that, you have a chance, but it's very difficult to keep up with that. Especially Now, against Man City. <laughs> yes. The one thing, and that this is probably the main reason that I say that Chelsea might just be slight favourites here is because they've already won two, two games against Man City this season, Pep has Pep is a clever manager. I mean, he's done so fantastically well. But if there's a little weakness with Pep is that he can overthink his tactics. Oh, he And did that last season. Yep. Yeah, that sometimes confuses the players. Uh And that I think, because he's lost twice already, I think he'll be he he will consider a way to play against Chelsea. Not consider a way that you play the you know your team, but against Chelsea the way they play. And yes, of course he'd had. I mean, he's he's already sealed the championship. He's had time to work on that. Uh, but sometimes you know you get to this final. It's such a big event. Uh, what you don't want is too much information in your head or, or be shackled by, you know, tactics that you, you've not sort of practiced in a match or you want to have a little bit of freedom. You yeah. want to have the, the opportunity to go and express yourself and chase the game. You want to win the game, but if your manager said, oh, we've got to do this and that, and you have to hold back from something that you instinctively think that you should have done, It can take, you know, just the edge off. And that's why I think Chelsea, they are slight favorites. 
Slight favorites. Interesting. I'm very interested. I wonder if that will change your mind, but I, I think that you're a man of your word and you're probably going to stick with that all the way until Saturday, Peter Schmeichel. I'm not sure. I, I'm going with Man City, but who knows, huh? It's a it, it's well, a game that can happen anywhere. Everyone goes with Man City. <laughs> not, it's, not, it's not because I want to be opposite. It's just, you know, I, I mean, a lot of things can, can change this week. So when we get to Sunday... Uh, Chelsea's got to go to Aston Villa and get. I, I have a feeling they need to win to stay in the top four. I agree. Uh, Leicester, they've got Tottenham at home. Yeah. I have a feeling to have a chance they need to win that, and I think they will. And of course, Liverpool will be in the top four because they just need to win the next game, which is Crystal Palace at home. And why wouldn't it? Yeah. And why wouldn't they win that game? Um, so we can have a situation where Chelsea finishes fifth and then if they win the Champions League they will qualify for the for for next year which gives but them which gives the Premier League an extra team in the in the tournament yeah. as well yeah. Yeah. they have um, two chances um, I think that there's a chance they might miss the first one and that gives them that little extra I think well, I mean, you know, as a Villa fan, I would love nothing more than to take three points against that. We didn't even talk about oh. your goal for Villa, by the way. <laughs> I was there. It was amazing. Of course, I grew up in England, my friend. Oh. Yeah, I know, but this is away from home, wasn't it? Yeah, but I still thing. went. I still went. Did you go to all the away games? Not all of them. It was very difficult. No. Obviously, I lived in this. I lived in London, just outside of London. But I went to. I went to every game that I could away, and then I went to obviously. Yeah. To Villa Park, but oh, yeah. seeing you play for Villa, I know it wasn't that long. I, and like I know it. that I you have to say, I like it. I really, I mean, John Gregory was a manager that signed me. I thought he loved John. Gregory. Got a re- yeah, I do as well. I mean, I thought he was fantastic. Yeah. He was, I mean, no one's like Fergie, but he had something about him, and he was a very modern, uh, modern way of thinking manager. You, you. He was yeah. involving the players, the experienced players, when he was uh, when he was doing his talks and when he was doing tactics. And he would never just say, "Players, do this, do that." He always, you know, not not I mean, not in a team talk when you know the game was being played three hours later. Then everything had to be said, said. But in training, you know, he would he would talk about it. what do you feel about this? Do you think I have this? I mean, I love that about him. And he stood up for his beliefs. I mean, that's why he left the job. He, yeah, uh, that's right. That, he that, never he stuck to his guns the entire time. Yeah, you did. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. listen, Peter Schmeichel, honestly, like I could do this for three more hours, but I know that you've got things to do. Probably get ready for Porto as well. But please, everybody, make sure that A, you follow him on social media. B, watch him on CBS and Paramount Plus. Buy his books, yes. C, as well. Ah. <laughs> uh, and also... Yes. And also, by the way, that you just talking about Sir Alex Ferguson was just so great as well because the the movie, the documentary will come out on the Champions League. Watch it. Yeah, watch it. I mean, by all means, this is this is an interesting man. This is a man that came from absolutely nothing. I mean, I know where I came from. I've been to that place. Yeah. No disrespect to the people from there, but to break out from there and do what he's done, it's just an absolutely amazing amazing story and to have to have such clarity of what you want to do and how you want to do it it's very few people in the world who's ever done that but he was one of them so watch it it's kind of it's really i haven't seen it myself but 
I'm absolutely convinced it's going to be a fantastic watch. Well, my friend, you were part of the story anyway, so I'm sure you don't even need to watch it as, as you are part of that story as well. And it's, it's amazing. But Peter Schmeichel, uh, again, a pleasure, my friend, and the best to you. And uh, let's, let's talk soon because, you know, you are my yes. colleague, so I got every right to talk to you anytime I want to. <laughs> you have, and you have my number. I do. <laughs> Peter Schmeichel, thank you so much, my friend. Thanks, Louis. Take care. Take right? care, buddy. Take care. And see you in the yeah, see you at the final. Yes, or sir. The finals. Absolutely. Hey, everybody! I want to thank Peter Schmeichel for joining me today. Don't forget to watch Sir Alex Ferguson's documentary on Paramount Plus this Saturday on the day of the Champions League final, May 29. Make sure that you follow us on Twitter, Kegolasso Pod. We're also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Kegolasso, and so much more. Have a great, great rest of your week. Enjoy the rest of the games and, of course, the Champions League final and the documentary. Have a good one. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.